Welcome to week one of content. This is always such a fun class because each week is a whole new area of focus. I like to say that the introduction to administration of justice is the poo-poo platter class where you can get to explore a little bit of the whole system. So chapter one gives you a broad overview of the criminal justice system. And don't worry, we'll dig into each of these entities further over the term. But probably one of the most important things that chapter one does is dig into crime and how media impacts how we view it. This is the bread and butter of understanding the myths and realities, as I like to call them, of our system. I hope you noticed that I included some extra resources for you this week. That's highly intentional, as these are areas that I want you to concentrate on, and you'll notice the discussion is focused in this area too. So what did you need to focus on this week? Well, defining quote-unquote crime, facts about crime, and crime rates themselves. And so what do we know about crime in the United States? Well, for one, we know that crime is really a social construct. That means that really crime is an arbitrary term and really just means what we as a people have determined something to be wrong or punishable. Now, as I always say, we can have as much or as little crime as we want based upon our definition of what it is. Sure, certain acts are more mala in say types of crimes, meaning that they're inherently wrong and wrong across cultures. Think things like murder, robbery, high-level violent crime. But there are many... Um, many that are considered malaprohibita types of crimes, meaning that we have simply prohibited them because we don't like them and not because of inherent wrongness. So think of things like drug crime and prostitution. So keep that in mind as we dig into data because our definition of crime dictates how much of it we have. Mind blown, right? And on that note, the Uniform Crime Reports tables provided to you this week should speak volumes to this, as there's a huge difference between types of crimes and how much of them we have. So example, property crime versus violent crime. And not only that, but you should see some significant trends. Okay, so if you put your attention to the UCR crime data that I supplied you with this week, see the outside resources area section in the module, um, you'll see that there is data from from 2000 to 2019. And that's the most recent that we have is going up to that 2019 marker. And you should also notice that the numbers go down in number as you go down the chart to more recent years. So in 2000, there were 1.4 million violent crimes with a rate of 506 per 100,000. But by 2019, there were only 1.2 million violent crimes with a rate of 366 per 100,000. Because remember, population changed and went up over that time frame. So that's a pretty large rate decrease. And for property crime, it's just as astounding. In 2000, there were nearly 10.2 million property crimes, many more than violent crime, please note. Um, and that rate was about 3,618 per 100,000. But by 2019, there were not even 7 million reported property crimes and a rate that was only about 2,109 per 100,000. So what does this tell you? Well, that crime has decreased and by a sizable margin over time. And what's crazy is that the peak of crime was actually in the early 1990s. So this decrease is even more pronounced over the past 30 years than I was able to even just showcase to you. But did you know that? Likely not. And why? Well, that's where our media representations come in. Media depicts crime in an inaccurate manner frequently. 
Right now, we're living in a time that very much has problems with this. As I just showed you, the overall longitudinal trend of crime is downward over the past 30 years or so. However, recently, namely in 2021, there were some increases to violent crime, especially for homicides, which is the least frequent crime category, by the way. So that matters. And while, yes, this is alarming, the context of time needs to be understood here. As yes, it was a pretty staggering increase over some of our more recent years, but our more recent years were at some of the lows for this crime and these crimes anyway. And in most major cities, the amount of homicides is no worse than the early 1990s when violent crime was at its peak. And as a rate, which is what we should be looking at to control for population size changes, our population has grown, remember, the rate is definitely no higher than it was during our peaks of violent crime in the 90s. So again, yes, there's a year-by-year -year increase, whoop-de-doo, but when it comes to crime data, we don't care about a year-by-year -year comparison. We want larger spreads, say five years, 10 years, even more if we can. And that shows us that the trend of crime is still downward, even if there is a documented increase in homicides as of last year. That is factual, but it doesn't necessarily change the trend. And fun fact, even though the media is hyped up on showing rampant property crimes right now, most of the data doesn't show a sharp increase in property crime at all. Larcenies are up, mostly with car vehicle breaks in, break-ins, and then motor vehicle theft is up, but burglaries are down, and if anything, property crime in general is similar to its pre-pandemic rate. Which, by the way, in California in 2020, property crime reached its lowest level since 1960, which is as far back as consistent crime stats go. So, go figure. So take this for what it's worth and make sure to understand where the rate was before judging too harshly on where it is now, because we want to be looking at trends. So another thing to note is that even though crime has decreased over the past 30 plus years, concentration of crime in both news media and TV shows has actually increased. And I'm sure there's a crime show junkie or two in this class, right? Maybe you're paying attention to those things. But this means that people then receive an inaccurate depiction and association of how much crime is out there. And we find that especially true now, as people have more access to information than they ever did before. So this is likely why you got your pretest wrong. And that's okay. As it was noted in the Pew Research Center facts, most people's perceptions don't align with the data. So you are in quite, uh, in, in fact, quite normal. But now you do know. Um, also, FYI, it takes telling someone something about eight times to change their mind if they're already, already highly entrenched in not believing it. So we have 16 weeks that I'll likely keep reiterating to you that crime has gone down. So keep that in mind because I'll probably mention it quite a few times over the term. Okay. So that's the main takeaway that you need for this first week, but there's still other important content too. First, this week should have exposed you to what the major entities are in the CJ system and the philosophical ideas behind how and why we have such a system. So quick overview, the CJ system is made up of three main pillars. The police, that's the first contact with the system, the decision-making power to stop and arrest somebody comes from them. Then we have the courts, which is arguably the most powerful of the three, as this is the area where decisions are made to prosecute or not and what charges to bring. And it's where we hand down actual punishment. And lastly, there's corrections, where we put people um, once we've determined their punishment. Um, so we have many options here with jails, prisons, community sanctions, et cetera. And we'll talk more about all of these later in the term. So these are the major entities. So see the charts on slide uh, eight and nine for a better understanding of how these all work as a system. But why do we even have them? 
That's the question, right? Well, we have different ideas about why this system is in place. Some believe that we have it to, one, control crime. So to deter, to make people not do it again, and the system is just there to fact find, not to do anything after the fact to make people better. Second, on the opposite side, some think the system is there to rehabilitate, so to actually make the offender better, to fix them. And then third, some believe that the system is in place to provide due process, right? So to make sure the process is fair and that people's rights are upheld. And then fourth, that the system is here to provide fairness and to make sure people are treated equally. And then fifth, that the system is there to restore the community victim and offender through mediation types of programs that have these entities work together to fix the problem. Or kind of a sixth option is that the system should be there only in a few cases and that there should be really non-intervention for most crimes as labeling criminals has a negative consequence. All of these ideas about why we have the system will coincide quite nicely in the coming weeks, especially as we talk about criminology, which is really about why people commit crimes. So we'll circle back then, um, along with sentencing philosophies later in the term. This will connect well there, too. And in addition to the perspective on justice, there are also other underlying ideas about how our CJ system should work that align more with its actual operation. And these ideas fall on two sides, kind of our due process model and crime control model. The due process, or the first, the due process model, is concerned with upholding suspects' rights, so their individual rights, and making the CJ system jump through more hurdles in order to be certain that offenders are actually guilty. Proponents of this model would rather 10 guilty people go free than convict one innocent person. The opposite lens here is the crime control model that favors a swift system that operates like an assembly line to efficiently convict as many criminals as possible. They're okay with convicting that pesky one person inaccurately, considering so many others are truly guilty that made it in the system too. So sad, apparently, for that one person. All right, so to end, I know that chapter one comes with a lot of content. That's to be expected, to, but don't let it overwhelm you. And to end, keep your mind open to learning over the term. This first week may have been a doozy because it blew your mind and shattered your reality, especially if maybe you thought crime was severely up and you're still holding on to that despite the data that I maybe just presented to you. But remember, what we think isn't always right. That's why you're here, to learn. So do it. All right, until next week, y'all.